What's up? What's up? What's up? How's everyone doing? I'm going to take this right here. I want to welcome you to joint prayer meeting. My name is Marcus Corpening. I'm one of the pastors at New Philadelphia Church. And uh, yeah, if it's your first time here and uh, you were a little shocked by um, Young Was yelling, uh, we, we're just getting started. <laughs> Yeah, I just want to thank you guys for coming out. Every every time that we come out over the past five years, um, God hears our prayers. God hears our prayers, and the, and the prayers that we lift up to heaven are like incense unto him. And they are sweet, and they are filling up golden bowls in which God's going to pour out those judgments upon the earth. And we will see his righteousness come. Amen. And uh, man, personally, I've been here. Since the first joint prayer meeting over five years ago, so I've been in Korea for a while now. I still don't speak Korean. I'm still working on it. The only thing I know how to order is chicken and Shanghai Spice chicken burger. But I'm getting better. I'm getting better. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew 26. I'm going to speak to you tonight on the topic, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Before we get started, though, what I want you to do is I want you to just turn to the person next to you. They may be from New Philadelphia Church. They may be from any of the English ministries here in Seoul. And I just want you to say hello. Just say hello to them real quick. Shake somebody's hand. Say, I'm blessed to sit next to you. Say it like you mean it. Amen. Matthew 26, verses 36 to 46. This is a famous and well-known event in the life of Jesus. And we're going to look at this passage of scripture. I think God has some very clear things that he wants to say to us tonight in the season that we're in. Matthew 26, verse 36 to 46. I'm just going to read it. and I want you to look along with me. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless. Not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? You can hear his frustration, right? Come on, Pete. Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Everyone just bow your heads. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this meeting. We thank you for this gathering of your church. And Lord, we thank you that as we gather together, Lord, that what we bind on earth is bound in heaven and what we loose on earth is loosed in heaven and the gates of hell cannot overcome this church, God. And so, Lord, we just pray tonight, God, as we partake of your word, would you open up our eyes, open up our ears, open up our minds, God, to conceive and perceive what you are doing, Lord. And God, I pray for a stirring. I pray for a stirring in our hearts in the place of prayer that God, that you would awaken us tonight to commit to pray. And to commit to continue to pray, not just at this meeting, but this meeting would just be something that lights a fire in us to perpetuate and continue the movement that you've already started, God. So, Lord, we pray that as your word goes out, Lord, it would be like a fire in our bones, God, waking us from our sleep and stirring us up to wait and watch with you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So here in this passage, we find that Jesus is... It's towards the end of his life, and he has already had the Last Supper. We see in Matthew 26, Jesus, he sits with them. He, he breaks bread with them. And then after he breaks bread with them, they leave, and they go to the Mount of Olives. And he's talking with them, and he sits with them. He says, listen, check it out. All of you are going to fall away because of me. I mean, imagine you're walking with Jesus. You're under his teaching all this time. You have been living with him, breaking bread with him. And then at the end, he sits with you and he looks you in the face and says, check it out. Things are about to get heated and you ain't going to make it. I don't know about you, but, (laughs) you know, he sits with them and he's like, listen, some of you are going to follow all of you, not some, all of you are going to fall away because of me. And then Peter we love old Pete. Pete rises up and says, no, uh-uh, check it out. Check it out, Jesus. No one, you know what I'm saying? Everyone else is going to fall away, but not me. He, he just, he's like, I won't do it. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus looks Peter right in the face. Peter, you're going to be the first one. You're going to do it three times. <laughs> And you would think that Peter, knowing Jesus, being under his teaching, he knows that Jesus is the son of God. He's already gotten that revelation. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, no, I ain't. I will not deny you. I will never deny you. He says, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Ride or die. Jesus. And all the disciples said the same. So Jesus is like, okay, all right, cool. And so he takes them and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And this Garden of Gethsemane, was, it was not too far outside of, of Jerusalem. It was, it, you could see the temple from where it was at. And they go to this garden. It, it can overlook, it can see the city. And they're there. And Jesus brings the disciples there. And he tells some of them, yo, I need you to stop right here. I need to go pray. 
But then he goes and gets his three homies, right? He gets Peter, James, and John. And he says, well, I want you three to come with me. And he takes them with him and they have this event and it's, it's well known. We all know it. But this moment is right before the culmination of Jesus's life mission, the cross, right? Every prophecy, every word that's ever been spoken out over Jesus is going to be fulfilled by the cross. And so what we find here in Gethsemane is that they are at the brink. They are at the cusp of the culmination of the words that have been spoken being fulfilled. And I tell you the truth tonight, we are at the cusp. We are at the culmination of every prophetic word that we've received. Everything that's ever been spoken about North and South Korea. I believe that we will see it being fulfilled with our own eyes. We've been praying for five years. Now, that may not seem like a long time to some of y'all, but for me, that's five years. We've been meeting every month, praying and praying and praying. We've seen, we've seen the shelling of Yongpeng Island and everyone wanting to go home because we think war's about to break out. We see, you know, Kim Jong-il is dead and Pastor Christian gets up here and preaches a message called Kim Jong-il is dead. <laughs> and even recently with, you know, Kim Jong-un's uncle being deposed, it was like, All these different things are happening, but I sense that in the spirit that we are going to see the culmination of every word that has been spoken out over us. As we pray for the youth in Korea, as we pray for the youth, as we pray against the suicide rate, we have seen the suicide rate go down. But I believe that as we continue to pray, we're going to see it be completely fulfilled. We too are on the cusp. Of the culmination of the mission of what God is calling us to as a prayer meeting, a prayer movement. And it's in this place right before, right before all this is about to happen. And Jesus is the only one who knows. It's right in this moment where Jesus holds, in many ways, a prayer meeting. Right before everything is about to take place, right before it's all about to go down, Jesus gathers his disciples and he takes them with him to the garden of Gethsemane. And then he takes the three with him even deeper. And in the rest of scripture, whenever Jesus was going to pray, he didn't take anybody with him. Whenever Jesus was going to pray, he was, he would sneak out. Everyone's like, wait, where'd Jesus go? They'd be, he'd tell them to go and cross the, the sea that was rocky. And then they're like, all right, Jesus, you're getting in. No, I ain't getting in. I'll see you on the other side. All of a sudden, when they're on the way through, they see him walking on water. Where did where was Jesus that whole time? He went off. He snuck off and prayed on his own. But we see in this moment, all of a sudden, Jesus is calling the disciples into his prayer life. He's calling them into what he's been doing by himself this whole time. It's kind of like that first prayer meeting, that first joint prayer meeting in a lot of ways. And and in this passage, I believe that we see that Jesus shows us what it means to come together and pray and what he's really getting at. Because when the words are fulfilled, that's not time to pray. When the hour is at hand, when North Korea reunifies, that's not going to be the time to pray. No, 
Now's the time to pray. And so I want to talk about three, three things that Jesus does that when he calls us to watch and pray. The first reason why Jesus calls us to watch and pray is because he's calling us to connect with him in intimacy. When I say watch, what I'm talking about is, is being awake, staying wide awake in the place of prayer and, and continuing to connect with what God is doing. Praying that when he tells him to watch and pray, that word means to pray earnestly. And the first reason he does this is because he wants us to connect with him in intimacy. Look at Matthew 26, 36 to 38. Verse 36 says, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Jesus asks them to do something very intimate. Even in that moment, it's so intimate. You don't ever see anywhere else Jesus sit down, even with his closest three, and say, hey, listen, this is what I'm going through. This is my heart. I'm sorrowful. I'm so sorrowful even unto death. In his hour of greatest need, just to sit with him and discern what's going on. And what it was, was that it was a call to intimacy. See, in this time where we're on the cusp and we're in the, we're so close to the culmination of all the words that have been spoken out over us. The first thing Jesus calls us to, the reason why he calls us to pray and calls us to gather is because he's calling us to intimacy. He's calling us to connect with him in a deep way. And it's really interesting because the three disciples that he brings and he shares, my soul is so sorrowful even unto death, are the three that he takes with him to the Mount of Transfiguration. Those are the three that he takes to the mountaintop and, you know, his face, oh, it just starts to shine and the glory goes out. But in this moment, Jesus shows them that it's one thing to be with Jesus in his glory, but it's another thing to be with him when it's, when it's intimate, when it's deep, when he's going through something. It's one thing to go with him and watch with him when everything doesn't seem to be going that great. When all the prayers don't seem to be getting answered. You know, intimacy is the great need for the church in this hour. Intimacy is what God is calling us to when we're on the cusp. I was reading this book by... Uh, a sociologist at University of Notre Dame, and his name is Christian Smith. And he wrote a book called Soul Searching, and it was about the faith of American teenagers. And he did this study in America where he just interviewed a lot of, a lot of teenagers about their faith. And he interviewed a lot of Christian teenagers as well. And he ended up finding out that most of these teenagers, they were not, even though a lot of them said they were Christian, they were not Christian. Instead, he, he talked about their faith being something called moral therapeutic deism. And so some of you are like, what does this mean? What is he talking about? You all are you've all have graduated college. You understand what I'm saying. Or Emmaus students, you're in college. You know what I'm talking about. Moral, meaning that their religion was only to give them a moral framework. 
So I can know right and wrong. I know who Jesus is and I know to do the right thing or the wrong thing. It's morality. Therapeutic, meaning that I only pray whenever there's a funeral or whenever there's a wedding. I don't go to church any other time but Easter and I only call out to God when I need him. Therapeutic. And then deism, meaning that God, he just made everything and now he just sits up there in heaven and we can do whatever we want. And he did this, and at the end, he was kind of shocked because he was like, wait a minute, we've got all these people saying they're Christian, but when you look at their real beliefs, they don't know Jesus. Because a lot of people can call out to God when they need him. But how many people are going to respond when God calls out and says, I need you? See, what we see in this passage is that Jesus brings his disciples in and he says, check it out. I need you in this hour. I need you to be alert. I need you to wake up. I need you here in this hour because I'm going through something. My heart burns for something and I need you to be awake for it. See, when I came to Korea, my heart did not burn for Korea. I'm a black guy in Seoul. But the reason I'm here, the reason I pray is because I heard God say, Marcus, I don't care if you're Korean. I don't care if you're not. I don't care if you don't speak the language. I want you. I'm asking you. I need you to pray. And when we respond to that, that is the most intimate thing possible. Not to just call out whenever we need him, but will we call back when he says, I need you. See, when you're on the cusp, you cannot just have some therapeutic faith. You've got to be intimate. And that is a give and a take. That is a relationship. See, that's what Jesus was calling them to. He said, my soul is sorrowful. Do you see the way my heart breaks for those in North Korea? Do you see the way my heart breaks for the youth in Korea? Do you see the way my heart breaks for the family in this nation? Do you see the way my heart breaks for the expat? Do you see the way my heart breaks for those in human trafficking? Do you see? Can you at least stay awake for one hour? Because I need you. That's what's happening. That's what's happening here in this garden. So many times we read this passage and we think it's all about Jesus having a tough time. But he, he invited them there for a reason. Why? Because he wanted them to see. He wanted to invite them in. He wanted them to be intimate. That's what this prayer meeting's about. It's about intimacy. See, God doesn't need you to pray. Right? You know, like. The passage of scripture where it talks about that, you know, God doesn't dwell in in temples made by human hands as if he needed anything. You know, God can do it all by his own. Jesus could have went and prayed on his own. He doesn't necessarily need you to do it. He's God, but he wants you to. He asks you to. He wants to partner. He wants to be intimate. And he's saying, hey, watch, stay awake, stay awake. So he says this to them and and then we let's keep it moving. The first reason is that he wants intimacy. He calls us to watch and pray because he wants intimacy with us. He desires intimacy and we see and that that will be actually the test 
even in the end times, in the latter days, that the love of many will go... Will go <laughs> I need to drink some water. That the love of many will grow cold. Because there will be many who profess Christ, but don't possess Him. And don't have relationship with Him. And so it's about intimacy. The second reason He calls us to watch and pray is because it keeps us from walking in the flesh. And succumbing to temptation. After Jesus says, you know, my soul is very troubled. Even unto death, remain here and watch with me. And he prays. Verse 40, he comes back to the disciples and he finds them sleeping. Knocked out. Knowing Peter, he was probably snoring. Just... Oh, what's up? What's up, Jesus? He's probably just faking it real quick. I was here. He walks up to the disciples and finds them sleeping. And he says to Peter, oh boy, Peter can never get a break. So could you not watch with me one hour? Not all night prayer meeting. He wasn't calling them to stay up all night. He wasn't calling them to give up their entire day. He was saying one hour. You know, this prayer meeting, it's not going to last all night. Jesus isn't calling you to give up your entire day. It may not be one hour. It may be about three or four, but still. <laughs> one hour. He comes up to him. Hey, can you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray. Not that I may not enter temptation, but that you may not enter temptation. Jesus' concern was not himself. It was the disciples. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus' concern was not himself. He knew that he was going to go to the cross and accomplish everything that he needed to accomplish. His concern was for those who would need to walk it out afterwards. And so he says, check it out. I need you to stay awake. I need you to take some caffeine or do something. You need to stay up. You need to stay alert. You need to be discerning and you need to pray so that you won't enter temptation. And then he says, what, what kind of temptation? What are you talking about, Jesus? You're talking about lust. There's no one else around but us dudes. Nah, he he clarifies right here. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Because see, with this prayer meeting, this prayer movement, our biggest enemy is not Satan. When we gather together and we pray and we are stepping in faith, our biggest enemy in that is not Satan. As Myungwa got up here and said, he's under our feet. Our biggest enemy is the flesh. That all of a sudden we start to grow privy to our own wants and our own desires and whether or not we feel excited about something or whether or not we get it and it's all about us. That's the flesh. So he says, no, no, you need to stay awake. You need to discern. You need to recognize what's going on and you need to pray so that when you, if you can do those two things, you will stay strong and you won't succumb. To the flesh. You won't succumb to the self-centeredness. You won't succumb to the things that, that quench every other move of God. 
you know, a lot of times when revival hits, you look through, like when revivals hit any area, a lot of the things that quench the spirit in that moment, a lot of things that cause those revivals to end is infighting, sexual immorality. People are prideful and searching after their own gain. What stops the moves? Yes, Satan, he's in there. He's poking and prodding. He's trying stuff. But really, it's the flesh. And so he says, watch, pray, discern, so that you can stay walking in the spirit. And the, the third reason why Jesus calls us to watch and pray, and this is one I'm going to park at. I'm going to spend some time here is because when Jesus calls us to watch and pray, really what he's doing is preparing us for that next season. He's preparing us for that culmination. He's preparing us for what he's winning on our behalf. He's preparing us for the season. Let's look at Matthew 26, verses 43 onward. It says that after he warns them, you know, he, go, he goes and prays in verse 30, 43. In, again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. Some of y'all feeling that right now. <laughs> I'm seeing you. So leaving them again. Yeah, you can't fall asleep in a message about not falling asleep. <laughs> like, there's just something about that that's just demonic. That's wrong. You got to at least stay awake for this. <laughs> so leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest now. No, later on. Because see, the hour is at hand and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Keep reading verse 47. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the 12, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs. Oh, snap. From the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer gave them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And they came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. <laughs> then they came up and laid hands on Jesus. That's the first time anyone laid hands on Jesus before, after his baptism. They lay hands on Jesus and seize him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus, and John tells us that was Peter. <laughs> Peter, here we go again. Peter drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And then we gotta, I want you to see this right here. And Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. What are you doing? <laughs> For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Verse 54. But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? See, Jesus' mindset was very different than Peter's mindset. Why? Because Jesus was praying. Peter was not. See, while Jesus was praying, it prepared his mind so that when they came and seized him, Jesus was like, do what you got to do. I understand that what's going to happen here is going to fulfill the word. 
But because Peter wasn't watching, because Peter wasn't praying, because Peter was all about his flesh, when the time came for him to recognize that the scriptures were being fulfilled in his midst, he was trying to fight. See, if you don't watch and pray, God's going to fulfill the word in your midst, and the first thing you're going to want to do is go home. If you're not watching and praying, then God's going to fulfill the word, and the first thing you're going to feel is despair. You know, Jesus had already told them that this was going to happen. He told them a long time ago. Check it out. The son of man, he's going to be betrayed in the hands of sinners. All of you are going to fall away on account of me. No, not me. Never. All right, cool. I want you to come to the prayer meeting and pray. Why? Because I want to prepare you so that when the time comes, you'll see it rightly. See, it's when we're asleep in the place of prayer that we miss the discernment and wisdom to respond rightly in the next season. When we've learned how to watch and pray, then we know exactly what to do in the right moments. The Bible talks about these men called the sons of Issachar. It says that they understood the times. They knew the times. They understood the times. They discerned the times and they knew what to do. But if you don't discern the times, if you don't watch and pray, then you don't ever know what to do. See, Jesus discerned the moment very different than Peter. Jesus saw it. Peter saw it as a time to resist, a time to fight, and then later on a time to flee. But Jesus saw it as a time in which all the words that had been spoken were being fulfilled. See, what God is doing in our midst as we gather together and pray, you don't realize it, but he's changing you. What, when we come together and we bow our heads and we cry out and we pray for these different things, what you don't know God is doing is he's giving you discernment. He's changing your mindset. He's opening up your eyes to how he's moving and what he's doing so that when the time comes, you'll be ready to move. We see this elsewhere, I believe, in Matthew, Matthew 9. At the end of Matthew 9, Jesus stands and he looks out over Jerusalem. And it says that he was, he was sad because he saw the people being harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And in that moment, you would think that he would be like, oh, my goodness, everything is so bad. And I, no, he looked and he said, oh, the harvest is plentiful. Oh, lift up your eyes and look around. The harvest is white. It is ready to be harvested in, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers. See, because Jesus had been watching and praying throughout his whole life, when he looked at a situation that seemed to be negative, he recognized that God was moving in it. See, when you watch and pray, it changes the way that you look at North Korea. See, the people who haven't been praying... When they look at North Korea, they're just like, man, it's awful. Man, it's crazy. We don't know what's going to happen. But when we look at North Korea, we say, yeah, it may be awful. Yeah, it may be bad. But God is moving in that nation. God is breaking things open. He's opening up doors that no man can shut. And he's going to make this nation one. And we see it on the horizon. It's a completely different perspective because we are watching and praying. See, that's what it's about. See, when you watch and pray, it begins to prepare you for the season to come. You have to be committed to that. And 
Let's pick on Peter for a moment. I guess we've been picking on him all night. But we see, we see that, you know, Peter in the beginning, he's like, never will I betray you. And Jesus looks at him and he says, no, Peter, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. And we, if you look on, look in Matthew 26, look on to verse 69. We see that famous passage where Peter, he denies Jesus, doesn't he? He, he goes and Jesus has been brought before the high priest and Everyone spitting on him, hitting him. And Peter's just standing outside. And then the servant girl walks by. Hey, I know you. Yo, you Peter. Yo, girl, get away from me. I don't know you. I don't know you. You know, and I am not him. Right? I do not know what you mean. And then when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. There were, I guess, tons of servant girls everywhere. And said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath as to, I do not know this man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them for your accent betrays you. That's jacked up, his accent. Like, I wonder if he tried to change the way he talked in that moment. Actually, he did. He began to invoke a curse on himself. He cursed. And he changed the way he spoke. I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, right? And Peter remembered what Jesus said and he wept bitterly and walked away. But I want you to look at something. I want you to look at verses 36 to 46 again. Verse, start at verse 37. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, that's one. He found Peter sleeping. How many? One. So you could not watch for me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter in temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them what? Sleeping too, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them there again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And then he came to the disciples and said, sleep and take your rest later on. But look at the footnote right there. Number four, if you have the ESV, look at the footnote. Jesus says it can also be translated Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Three. Jesus told him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. But before before Peter could deny Jesus publicly, in the public place, he had already denied Jesus in the secret place. Before he had denied Jesus before the people, he had already denied Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he had denied him three times. And see, if you deny Jesus in the place of prayer, you will always deny him in the public place. See, Peter had already failed the moment he fell asleep. And then Jesus came to him. He gave him grace. And he said, listen, wake up. And he fell asleep again. And he came to him again. Wake up. And he fell asleep again. And he said, wake up. And he fell asleep again. And by then, the hour was at hand. And it was too late. You can't read the spark notes anymore to try and catch up. 
He had already denied him in the secret place. So he would, of course, deny him in the public place. See, that's why Jesus calls us to watch and pray. Because before you can ever stand for Jesus before men, you've got to stand for Jesus before God. Before you can ever stand and bring in the harvest, before you can ever stand before North Koreans or before the youth or before any, you've got to stand for them in the place of prayer. Before he could ever stand for Jesus before the high priest, even before a servant girl, it wasn't the high priest, it was a servant girl. But before he could even stand before a slave, he had to be able to stand for Jesus when no one else was watching. That's why Jesus calls us to watch and to pray. See, this is a word of grace. You know, what Jesus was doing in that moment was that he was he was not trying to test them. He wasn't trying to cause them to fail. What he was doing was he was bringing them into the place of intimacy. And the funny thing is, is that right before he brings them to the place of intimacy, he declares that he knows they're going that you're going to deny me. All of you are going to deny me. But you know what? Even though I know that. I'm going to bring you into the place of intimacy. I'm going to share my heart with you. Why? Because intimacy is not about your devotion. It's about his desire. It's about him and his desire to be with us. But not only that, but then he, he warns them. Even after they fell asleep once, he comes to them again and he says, Yo, wake up. The spirit is willing. We can proclaim a lot of things, but the flesh, man, it's heck of weak. You got to be. Stay awake. Why did he do that? Because it was grace. Because he wanted, even still, he wanted his disciples to endure. And then even after that, he, he still, he still continues to call out to them. And, and there, there did come a point, though, where the disciples finally got it. It took Jesus, you know, dying and, and resurrecting and then appearing to them, but they, they got it. We see it in Acts chapter 1 and 2. Where before the disciples, they never wanted to watch and pray. All of a sudden, with the knowledge of what Jesus had done for them, they were now committed to watching and praying. And when they had become committed to the place of watching and praying, that was when they experienced Pentecost. And the funny thing is, is that the one person who it seems to have failed the most in watching and praying was the one who became the most committed and not just the most committed, but after he had learned how to stand before God in the place of prayer, he was the one who stood before man and preached to 3,000 and they were all saved. See, this word to you tonight is not to beat you up like, man, I got to get it together. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, see, this is, this is a word of grace to shore up what God has already been doing. Because he wants this, the people who are going to walk this thing out, who are going to walk out the reunification, walk out seeing suicide eradicated from this nation, walk out seeing revival in the youth. It won't be just, it won't be some NGO. 
It won't be some government organization. It won't be somebody down the street who knows nothing about nothing. It's going to be us in here who are watching and praying. So let's pray. Amen.